This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Welcome back to the latest edition of The Audible, presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Bruce Feldman, joined, as always, by my colleague from The Athletic, Stuart Mandel. It is a Monday. We normally tape on Sunday, but now that the regular season is gone, we've moved into bowl season. It is the most wonderful time of the year. Stu, I know we just had the Heisman. We'll talk about this in a second. But are you in the holiday spirit? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, we celebrate Hanukkah in this house, and... We had uh, a big Hanukkah party over here on Saturday night, and there's been an opening of presents every night. Uh, just, just having a blast over here. What about you? Yeah, we had we've had some Christmas parties already. It's like we're at the part of the week where I think my son's soccer team has had has, has multiple parties, and we have our football party to uh, tomorrow night, which I'm excited to see our championship team, which I haven't seen since the title game so it's a fun time of year it's like i love this time of year it's um you know it's just it's um you know one of those things where i think you have the bowl season you have a lot of stuff where you can kind of catch your breath hopefully a little bit with football and pick up into other things and you can be around your family and um i don't know it's the older i get the more i've come to appreciate this time of year I think next year is going to be a huge adjustment for college football writers because I have always really appreciated like you get to the, I mean, it can get pretty, I'm running on fumes by the time we get to week 14, 15, whatever it is. And then we come up for air and it's just kind of, it's nice to like, oh, I see my family again and I reconnect and we're going to go away around Christmas. But next year, Bruce, this week, we would be gearing up for the first round of playoff games this coming weekend. Count me in. Um, look, one thing that's been awesome to see, I, you know, I watched the Villanova game the other day. I definitely get into FCS playoffs. For some reason, mm-hmm. I want to see bad weather in them whenever I turn the TV on. So, um, you know, sometimes you get it, sometimes you didn't. I did hear Tom Luganville's voice, I, you know, on the broadcast. So I'm like, all right, something crappy is going to happen in this game. And sure enough, the wind seemed like it was blowing like tumbleweeds across the field. Um, well, an almost complete contrast to major college football, where the South is the the you know seat of power. It just seems like all the good teams, all good programs, most of the good programs in FCS are in the coldest part of the country, which makes for some interesting. Uh, I, feel, I mean, I feel bad for those fans, but I'm sure they're used to it by now. Well, the fans are used to it. I think they embrace it. I mean, I love seeing it on my TV, especially from my couch. Um, I can. I feel like I cannot get enough of the lower divisions FCS kind of kind of games um okay so the heisman trophy happened on saturday night um it used to be a huge huge deal i don't want to say it's not anymore because it's still the biggest individual trophy in college sports but you have thoughts well so after 
the Heisman ceremony, they ran a 30 for 30 on the 97 Heisman race. And I got to see it ahead of time. And I mean, it's really like, you know, we talk about like when your age and when you came up is kind of like your sweet spot for 1997 was smack dab when I was in college, my sweet spot when I was probably really like my college football formative years. So it was really cool because unlike a lot of the documentaries you see now where it's just like a bunch of interviews with people after the fact, it was entirely archival footage. And so this was for people who maybe aren't old enough to remember it or not familiar with it. You know, the 97 Heisman race was one of the rare ones where people were kind of shocked when they when the name came out of the envelope and Charles Woodson had beaten Peyton Manning. Um, so it kind of like took you through the whole season and each guy was also Randy Moss and Ryan Leaf um, and what and, and all the buildup. And what really stood out to me is how much bigger of a deal or how much more attention was placed on the Heisman race by us, by the people talking about it on TV, by other media, all season long, to the point where, uh, like, there was a lot of footage of, and what's crazy is it's, it was Fowler Herbstreet and, and Corso even then, in 1997, a very young Herb Herbstreet, talking about it on the game day set, like, in the middle of the season. Um, remember the old show, the sports reporters? Oh yeah. Lupica, Bob Ryan, like they're getting into it. They're debating. Those are guys who are not watching college football at all, by the way. But they were really obsessed, not upset. They were really, uh, they had very strong opinions about who should win the Heisman that year. The craziest one to me was, I want to say it was like late October in the SEC and Peyton Manning, you know, wins the, wins a game and the sideline reporter comes up to him afterward and is like, um, you know, such and such other candidate lost today. You may have clinched the Heisman. What do you think? And Peyton Manning's like, oh, it's still early in the season. Da, da, da. Like, we would not ask a player in October if about the Heisman. Like, did you think you just won the Heisman? It was just such an in-your-face thing. By the way, first game of the year, do you remember, like, Dion's interview at TCU? Yes. He did talk about the Heisman week one. How was Dion inserting it into the conversation? I just don't think it's part of, I mean, how often do you guys talk about the Heisman during the season on Big Noon Kickoff? We talk about it more than you think because we actually have two Heisman winners on. You know, That's true. That's true. Club Heisman. So we actually do talk about it um, maybe once every three weeks um, right. about who's in it. So I don't want to like, I don't want to diminish it entirely. I was going to ask you this because I didn't, you know, we had a club soccer tournament Saturday, so I didn't see any of the Heisman show. but. Or or the or the um, the nineteen ninety seven deal, but do you think in this day and age of maybe more eyeballs on it, more statistics on it, um, that Charles Woodson would have had a better chance to win the Heisman or not in this in this version of college football? I don't I don't know. Um, obviously, a big theme of this, you know, Tennessee fans this day will tell you ESPN like was openly campaigning for Charles Woodson to win the Heisman. I don't know about that, but I do think because Peyton Manning was the, as we know, the worst thing you can do is be the preseason favorite. So I think people were looking for other candidates. The What, what I would say to that is if a defensive player was going to win the Heisman, the perfect guy was two years ago, Will Anderson, just had a like wrecking ball of a season, right? Um, unfortunately he was on the same team as Bryce Young, who did win the Heisman. He didn't, but he finished fifth. I was looking at the other day, Aiden Hutchinson actually came closer. Um, 
But to I mean, what's ironic I... about what you said is that Tennessee fans felt like ESPN was in the bag for Michigan. I don't think anybody in Michigan feels like ESPN's in the bag. No, now it's the other way around. All uh, you know, at this point. So, well, look, Charles Woodson, even though he was primarily a defensive player, I mean, I think it helped his cause. Obviously, he was also a receiver. Um, like Charles, Woodson, it's interesting to be around now, where it's like, you know, you can make the case he's arguably the greatest defensive player in the history of the sport. You know, he won the Heisman. He had a he had a pro you know a pro football Hall of Fame career. You know, at safety, a cornerback, it was just like, you know, just this this legendary figure. You know, at the same time, and it's interesting in this regard. He came from the same you know recruiting classes as the greatest pro football player of all time, and Tom Brady. Um, I do think there's a natural fascination with guys who play both ways. So, if for instance, I mean, if Colorado had ended up contending for the national title. Travis Hunter in the history of this podcast. Well, the second if is if Travis Hunter didn't get hurt, uh, like somebody like that, I think could win the Heisman because there would be uh, like Jabril Peppers was a finalist, you know, in whatever his senior season was mostly because every game ESPN would show like how many different snaps he played at each position on defense. So uh, all per, a guy like that, I think could, it just doesn't seem like a just a purely defensive player can. But it did occur to me that the Jaden Daniels versus Michael Penix was a little bit like that race in that, you know, Peyton Manning got hurt, was hurt in that race because they put, he couldn't, he never could beat Florida. So they lose to Florida. They do end up in the SEC championship, but they're not in the national championship conversation. And Michigan went undefeated and, and split the national title and Charles Woodson it was, I think a really interesting part was, and I'm now giving the whole thing away, but go watch it on um, the last day of the season, Ohio state's playing Michigan at noon. Um, you know, God knows how many eyeballs and the, and at the same time, but nobody's watching it's on ESPN two, Tennessee's playing Kentucky and Peyton Manning threw for like 500 something yards. And so their point was much like today, all the attention was on the guy in the national title race. And I think this year, what you know, Jaden Daniels was in the Peyton Manning role and won. You know, Michael Penix was in the conference championship game. He did reach the playoff and couldn't overtake uh, Jaden Daniels, who didn't play on the last weekend of the season. So let's. We both are Heisman voters. Um, what does your ballot look like? Uh, very unoriginal. My ballot, and this doesn't usually happen, matched the top three of the voting in that it was Daniels, Penix, Knicks. Interesting. Uh, I had my t- my uh, top two were different. I had Michael Penix, who was the top guy on my on my ballot. I had Jaden Daniels um, second, Onyx third. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't really struggle with that. Like obviously, Jaden Daniels put up huge numbers, but you know, you could say, okay, if so and so wasn't on the team, their record would be this. I mean, I get it. Jaden Daniels' defense was was historically bad by LSU standards. Um, and he, he had a remarkable season. I mean, Michael Penix Jr., you know, turned that program from being pretty awful when Kalen DeBoer uh, got there. I mean, they, you know, the thing is with his numbers, I mean, he's throwing the ball deep downfield. This is not like dink and dunk. And like sometimes the the stat line can be empty calories a little bit, not with him. And I'm not saying they are with Jaden Daniels, but just, I just think what he did 
was was pretty amazing. And again, this is a team that has a chance to win the national title. They're in the playoff. Um, he was he, to me, he was the most outstanding guy. Quick hypothetical for you, and then I'll talk about mine. If the result had been the reverse, and Oregon beats Washington by three on the Pac-12 championship, but they have the same exact stats, who wins your Heisman? Uh, I don't know. It might be. I mean, the like same you just flip Bo Nix and Penix, or you still stick with Penix, or you go Plan C. Um, I don't know. Like both of them, again, he beat he beat Bonix twice. Yeah, he beat him three times. Um, you know, because he beat him the year before. I'm just trying to get a sense of how important it was to end on a high note. But I think I think it's important because like he found a way to win these games. I mean, it's fourth and five, and he makes the throw. It's you know, like he he stepped up at all these times. You know, again, like there was some some times where I had this conversation with my Fox buddies, um, you know, but as it related to Florida State and Jaden Daniels numbers, I mean they were getting just annihilated by Florida state in that game. It was 45 to 17 with a minute left. And then he completes, you know, it's like a 75 yard touchdown play with one minute left. Yep. Oh, it's just like, there was some times where, I mean, they were, I get it. They were doing everything they could to get his numbers. You know, I forgot what, who they played um, late in the year. I think it was Georgia state. I'm looking it up. It was Georgia state. I mean, they win that game 56 to 14. And I mean, they're piling up numbers at down the stretch. So yeah, they definitely was a concerted effort down the stretch to win him the Heisman. Uh, look, I have no problem with how you voted. I almost voted that way, and I felt conflicted going when I felt conflicted when I turned in the ballot. I felt conflicted after it. I still feel conflicted now. I do think I made the right call because yes, he piled up some stats against some bad teams too, but. Um, you know, you if you're saying most outstanding player, yes, ideally I would want the most outstanding player to lead his team to the playoff and to win big games. But it, that's not what the ballot says, right? And when you talk about, like, you can't blame the guy for his defense, they lost to Ole Miss, I think, by a point. And in that game, Jane Daniels threw for 414 yards and four touchdowns and ran 15 times for 99 yards. So he wasn't the problem. Against Alabama... Not his best passing day, but he ran 11 times for 163 yards. The only thing on that, in these games I, they were losing, he was piled. It wasn't just Georgia State or Florida for that. That game still, I actually thought, you know, in the LSU-Alabama game, I thought Jalen Milrow was actually the most outstanding player on the field that day. For about three quarters, it was Daniels, and then Milroy t- Milrow took over. And actually, Daniels had an interception in that game that didn't, didn't help. So um, I think... I definitely would have felt better voting for the guy who took his team to the playoff. I would have felt more at peace with it. But I just think what Jaden Daniels did this year, you know, you empty calories are not towards the end. I mean, Florida is an SEC opponent. It's a big game for them. It's a rival. And the guy threw for 372 and ran for 234. Like Penix did not have... If you look at his game by game, he didn't have a game like that where he's just I mean, like shattering records. Let me ask you That's this. That's what it came down to for me. Do you like Formula One but struggle to keep up with everything that's going on? Then we have the podcast for you. Introducing the Race F1 Briefing, the podcast that brings you the latest F1 headlines in 15 minutes or less. 
With new episodes dropping on all four days of every race event, you'll never miss out on hearing what went down in practice, qualifying or the Grand Prix itself. And we'll also bring you all the behind the scenes news and gossip from the F1 paddock as well. If that sounds like the F1 podcast for you, search The Race F1 Briefing in your podcast app of choice. We'd love to have you join us. So, and again, I don't, this is going to be super nitpicky. I don't like doing this. Um, but if you asked me who was the better quarterback in the opener when it was Jordan Travis and Jaden Daniels, I don't know if I would say Jaden Daniels was the better quarterback in that game. Well, I covered that game and I came away from it impressed at Jaden Daniels' resiliency because he just kept getting hit and kept getting hit and kept coming back up. But I, I, like you, I mean, Jordan Travis was more, actually, Keon Coleman, frankly, was more the star of that game. But then it just seemed like he just took off from there. The other thing is, I was looking at his uh, Jane Daniel stats after that, and I don't think I realized just how much he, he improved light years as a passer this year. Yes, he did. He went from 7.5 yards per attempt to 11.7. Uh, he threw last year 17 touchdowns on the season. This year he threw 40. Uh, his last season at ASU, 10 touchdowns, 10 picks. This year, 40 touchdowns, 4 picks. So whoever was first or second, at the end of the day, like both the, both those guys and Bo Nix for that matter, had phenomenal seasons. It was a, some years it's a little bit underwhelming at the Heisman, top of the Heisman race. And I can go back and look at any number of, years where you're like that guy was a finalist uh this was not this was a this was a big big uh this was a great top of the field but again for all that i don't feel like most people here i'll tell you what i I, you know hosted a hanukkah party at our house uh, saturday night the heisman was on three guys there who are sports fans they're not living live die college football like us and they were just like who who's in it? Like who who you think's gonna like they didn't they didn't haven't paid a lick of attention to it. So not that that's a great like representative sample. I'm just trying to figure out when it happened. Like when did the Heisman jump the shark? Uh, that is a good question because you know if you do it this way, and if I if I go through in my you know my head and go okay when was because you and I both and it's it's maybe cheating that you did it because you lived in New York as well, but. Um, you know, we covered it. Yeah, I would go to the ceremony every year. Um, I feel like it's been a while. I almost go back to like when in the Jameis Johnny Manziel era, you know, where it's like about 10 years ago where it felt like it started to drift, which is kind of in the same time when the playoff um, started, you know, started to get more people's attention. And I think a lot of that, honestly, you know, as, as pivoted, because I do think there was a time when you had, you know, a lot of chatter about, about, um, McCaffrey putting up in, you know, very mm-hmm. kind of numbers and not getting it. I don't feel like, you know, there was definitely talk when Devonte Smith as a pure receiver won it, but I don't feel like, you know, if you ask certain people, Okay, do they remember the presentation? I remember, and again, I was too close to it because I was around LSU so much when Joe Burrow won it in 2019. Um, because I think the story was pretty amazing how he had come out of nowhere with that. But 
I mean, I feel like it's probably even, you know, leaked past, you know, I don't know, maybe it's 20 years, maybe it's not 10 years, you know, and um, it was just interesting to see kind of who, you know, know, what was the last one you covered? Well, it was when I, uh, it was the Jameis. It was RG3, which was 2011. Um, There is a moment that I think played a part in it. I think, you know, it's very media, you know, it may be giving too much power to the media. Um, So when I was at SI, there were a lot of Heisman voters at SI. And every year we would, the week of the ceremony, everybody, we would write a story. Everybody would say, here's who I voted for and here's why. And I don't think that was uncommon out in the media landscape. And then, and I I think this was, I'm pretty sure the last year you could still do that was the Johnny year. Because I do remember one of our writers saying they wouldn't vote for Johnny because of his off the field stuff. Um, And then the Heisman Trust did this huge crackdown about people publicizing their votes ahead of time. Because it hurt the TV show, right? They thought it did, but it had the exact opposite effect. Uh, the Heisman TV rating has never been the same because it basically just wiped out the coverage of it. Uh, certainly in the week leading up to it, you just, you know, everybody was had a gag order on them. So they weren't, nobody was writing like the, here's who I voted for the Heisman or here's who I think should win the Heisman column anymore. And I think maybe at some point that just kind of extended to the whole season. Um, you People can't really feel like they can't talk strongly about who they think should win the Heisman. I don't know. I just know that. So if that was 2012, then the next year, I just remember seeing like the TV rating just dropped off a cliff. And I don't think it's ever been the same since. That can't be the only reason, but it did feel like a shift of, you know, going from us covering the race breathlessly to basically getting the end season and then just going quiet. Well, it's interesting if they would have snuffed out the coverage that way. I mean, the Jameis year, I'm pretty sure there were six, you know, they almost never have six guys, and they did that year. Um, And I remember that being something of a circus. That might have been the last year I covered it in person. Um, It's still, like I said, it's still a huge deal. um, Is it? Yeah, it's still the biggest. Uh, it's still the biggest. It, it's a big deal in the in the sports. A big deal for the people involved in it. I don't the think it's a big deal for for the college football media, but I still think it's a huge deal for the sport, the public, the fans. Like we get complaints when we talk to them. We'll get complaints in this thing. All right, here's here real quick, and we'll move Let's on. Say one thing before we pivot to that. Just I do want to say this. Um, one of the old coaches I know made a point about talking about how he wanted to help his guy win a Heisman if he could, because it made such a big deal in recruiting this. Oh, I'm sure. No, like, and this is not that far gone. So I think it's still a huge deal. I just don't think, you know, it might not be as big a deal to you and it might not be as big a deal to the media coverage as it was. I think that's probably more. It's a huge deal to the guys in that room. Don't get me wrong here real quick. I found, I dug up an article from two years ago um, about, the steep decline of the Heisman TV. The year Johnny Manziel won in 2012, 4.9 million viewers. Um, the high water mark remains nearly 6 million for Mark Ingram's win in 2009. Uh, this was two years ago. Out of all time. I don't, I think you might mean like since whenever they started, like not going back to the 80s. Um, 
he has, this is John Lewis, he has the ratings going back to 2000. So it peaks in 2009 at 6 million. It's at 4.9 million in 2012. Guess what it was in 2021? 750,000. <laughs> Not quite that bad, but 1.8. So an event that used to get like the equivalent of a um, good SEC on CBS game now gets the equivalent of the Gasparilla Bowl. <laughs> so I, I maybe like here's the audiblepod at gmail.com. You guys write in and tell us. Has your interest in the Heisman changed, waned, same, whatever? And if it has waned, tell us why. All right. Uh, transfer portal. Uh, this week in the transfer portal. It's fitting, really- by the way, you're pivoting this because all three of the top three finalists, all guys whose careers were changed positively by going to the portal. Yeah. And we just had uh, Manny Navarro put up our early favorites for next year and and number two was the guy we we're talking about, going to talk about here, Dylan Gabriel. Uh, a Dylan Gabriel, a guy who I just assumed was going to go off to the NFL after this year, but not only is he not doing that, uh, he is probably going to be the starting quarterback next year for the Oregon Ducks. He has announced he's heading to Oregon. So Max Olson and I have our QB portal tracker. Go check it out. We're updating it constantly. Um, Dylan Gabriel was, to, according to a lot of the coaches we talked to, the top most coveted quarterback in the portal he is really accurate he ball comes out of his hand fast he makes quick decisions and all those things bode well for the oregon ducks they fit that offense he also can run really well now he probably won't have to run quite as much behind this offensive line but you know look he was also the guy who beat texas this year he's very very good um you know, some people thought he might follow Jeff Levy to Mississippi State. Obviously, that didn't happen. Oregon jumped in. They beat a bunch of schools for him. I think, you know, this is another sign why Dan Lanning has it rolling up in Eugene. And I definitely think they they are a top five team, not knowing what the rest of their, you know, portal situation is going to look like. But I think it bodes well because I, I just think, you know, you lose – Bonix, I think they, I think they felt like, hey, we got a guy who's really accurate. Ty Thompson's talented, but maybe we're not ready to trust to turn to him. Let's do this, and um, you know, like, like you know, we've talked about a little bit. The portal is probably not as deep with proven guys. I mean, I've talked to a lot of OCs and quarterback coaches over the last week and, and two weeks, and one thing they'll say is, you can poke holes in almost every guy in the portal that's a quarterback now and you know there is no caleb williams here or whatever and the money the dollar figures are big you're gonna have to pay in the seven figures to get somebody who's really really coveted yeah i mean i don't want to diminish what these coaches are telling you but to me it's like of course he's the most coveted guy i mean this isn't like uh well cam ward is in there too by the way cam ward's really talented dylan gabriel this year uh through average 9.5 yards attempt through for 3,660 yards, 69% completions, 30 touchdowns, and six picks. You know, this to me is more comparable to when Jalen Hurts transferred to Oklahoma. Like somebody who is already a very well-established star quarterback who's going to go somewhere else and is has a chance to lead that team to the playoff and possibly a national championship. You mentioned it in passing, the seven figures thing. When, when people talk about NIL and collectives, or, or when this was first becoming a thing, I think people assumed like, well, 
the rich will get richer. Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, you know, they'll have the money and they'll throw the money at people. From what I can tell, it's that's not the case. It's like programs like Oregon. Um, Max reported Nebraska has Kyle, had Kyle McCord visiting. Nebraska has been terrible for a long time, but they've got boosters. They've got money. Um, and Oregon is, from everything I've been told, Oregon is like the cream of the crop NIL. Like, and it shouldn't be a surprise, right? Who's funding that thing? Phil Knight. Who's running that thing? They're a collective. Uh, former Nike executives. Some of these collectives, a booster just started the thing and a booster, a couple boosters are running it. Um, Oregon's collective is basically Nike, uh, you know, before being honest. And so one of the things to me that's frustrating about the coverage of the portal is because this stuff's all secretive and underground, it's just not really mentioned. So Dylan Gabriel goes to commits to Oklahoma. Oh, it's because he wants to play for this coach or, you know, no, like we have, we, I wish we could say like, because they're paying him X, um, you know, there was, you know, it's not Otani money by any means, but like when Otani picks the Dodgers, you know, exactly how, why, you know, exactly how much money he's getting, but these collectives and NIL and everything, nobody can talk about it. So we have no idea. Yeah. And I think you'll see, you know, players who will say, Hey, I might go to the NFL I think what they're weighing is if I'm a fourth round pick, that money is not getting into the six figures, into the seven figures. And it depends on how they're shopping them. Like the conversations are really interesting about, because again, it's a lot of speculative on this. And I think, you know, who fits where I I do think you'll see some guys go, okay, this is a better fit for me. So maybe this other place, you know, is going to throw throw maybe a little more money, but maybe this is not ideal because what's also happening from what I'm told is you have some really big name quarterbacks who are like debating whether to go in the portal because they think there's more money there. And there are certain schools who would fit in the blue blood category traditionally where their their NIL people are not on the same page. You know, USC has three different NIL groups. I'm not sure how cohesive any of that is. And it's not to say that they're not able to take care of players, but I just think that um, in Oregon's case, you have a personnel group that, you know, that is really in sync with what, you know, Dan Lanning wants. You have something that's running about as, seems to be running about as smoothly as possible. It's why, you know, AJ Cornelius was one of the, higher one of one of the more coveted offensive line uh prospects who went in the portal last year and he ended up at Oregon and could have gone anywhere. I mean you see some of these examples of this where and now you have a track record of it, right? Because obviously Bo Nix, you can't probably get a much better commercial for a a uh a portal QB than Bo Nix, right? So um there's just a lot of layers to this. I think again Cam Ward will be the next big domino in here where he's a guy that, you know, still could go to the NFL. I mean, he put up big numbers on a team that was really inconsistent. He's a bigger kid. Um, you know, so I think there's, it's just the consistency part, but there's a lot of people who, who are really interested in him. So if we're playing out the dominoes here, Oregon's got their guy. Um, so then who, who's, uh, who do we think is the favorite for Cam Ward? I don't know. We're going to find out more this week. I know there's a bunch of schools who are trying to get 
you know, get him to come check them out. You know, I do know, I think Miami's in, in play there. We'll see, you know, who does Ohio State try to go all in on? Um, what does Washington do? Uh, you know, does USC, is are they going hard, um, you know, to get Kansas State's old quarterback, who's obviously a different kind of quarterback than than Caleb was and certainly than Kyler Murray was. But, um, you know, it's it's... I think I talked, we talked about this the other day, but it really fits into two buckets of the guys who are very proven and have played a lot of college football versus the guys who are big recruits who are very TBD because you just don't know what you're getting until they're actually running the show. Dante Moore is an interesting one to me because you, and we talked about him last time, right? He big name recruit, but he struggled as a freshman. His stock is probably higher, was probably higher a year ago than it is now, but he's still got that potential and he's from Detroit. So that opens the possibility of, I mean, does Michigan need somebody to be JJ McCarthy's successor for next year? Um, or they ride with who they have. And Michigan also has, you know, a top, you know, a top, you know, 25 quarterback coming in. It's a little, you know, it's interesting here. You know, obviously there's been a law, you know, Riley Leonard to Notre Dame has been, has been rumored for months. And it's heated up in the last couple of weeks. The Duke quarterback, um, you know, CJ Carr, as a lot of people think, is one of the top five quarterback recruits in the country. Has been committed there. Is going to get there. Um, you know, just when you have that happen, and I don't think this is unique to Notre Dame or to Michigan, but it's a case where, okay, you know, is, is this going to be all right? You're going to sit behind one year, or are you going to be in the position where the next year there's another guy who's going to who's going to put up big numbers, and then they're going to be targeted, and then all of a sudden, you know, are you going to get uh, if you're that quarterback? Are you getting developed? Or are you waiting in the wings? Or are you going to have to go someplace else to prove yourself? Okay, one other thing I wanted to bring up about the portal. Um, fast forwarding to next year, like I said earlier, right? If this were next year, this would be the week of the first playoff games. What's going to happen when, like, for instance, use Kyle McCord as a great example, right? Ohio State would be in the playoff right now preparing for a game this weekend. Does he, But he clearly had his mind made up that he was going to go somewhere else. Would, would a quarterback like that or any star player just go ahead and enter the portal? Or do they, you know, I'm on a playoff team. I got a chance at a national championship. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold off on that. Because if you do make the national championship, you basically run out the clock on entering the portal in this window and have to wait till the spring. Yeah, I, uh, Ubin did a column last week that I thought was very smart because it got into how the calendar for the NCA with college football is all at odds right. all over the place. And I do think there's going to have to be better windows to define this. And it's hard to do it because the academic calendar isn't going to budge. You know, so that's like, if you have a kid who commits to you, if you have a, a portal guy who commits to you, you know, it's not a done deal until they basically show up in class. Right. right. Well, speaking of Dylan Gabriel, UCLA experienced that last year. Yeah. And that's the thing. So I think there's there's going to be more and more examples of guys who like, yeah, they're committed to this school, but then they're not. Right. And I think it's hard for people, fans to keep track. It's hard for media to keep a track of like somebody who's in the portal or maybe they're not. And then you have agents involved and agents are, are leaking stuff to try to, you know, goose the market as best they can. And, 
It's it's all very murky at this point. It's a weird way of free agency. Well, he's not wrong. I mean, David is right. Like the amount of things that are all colliding in December is, and, you know, his column was, I remember the the theme was only in college football would they conduct the season and the off season simultaneously. But I also don't know how that's avoidable uh, because of what you just said, right? Guys who, who go in the portal now want to be enrolled to start class in January at their next school. And so, like I said, the championship game next year is not till January 20th. So either everybody that's on a playoff team, national championship contender, is just off limits for that wind that window and has to wait until after spring, or we are going to see teams affected by it. Or teams are going to say, like Ohio State would have to be like, all right, well, that sucks that we're losing you next season, but you're still going to be our quarterback in the playoff. Um, because I don't I don't think it's movable. You could the only thing that's movable to me is early signing date for high school kids. Like either get rid of it and go back to the days when it was in February or move it to the beginning of the season. That doesn't need to be in December too. But I don't know how you change the portal and I don't know how you change the coaching carousel. Like that all stuff is all still going to be going on right those now. The, those are the two bigger issues. What you, you know, the part you talked about with the with the early signing period, yeah, that's work for them. But that isn't as big of an uh, impediment as the other two things are right now. Yeah. And I, again, I don't know how you change it. The other thing is it's easy to say like, okay, if you're on a playoff team, you know, just wait till spring, do it in the spring s- semester. Well, opportunities are going to dry up. Like Oregon has found their quarterback. They're not waiting till April or May to, to figure out who their quarterback is going to be for next year. So, so I, I, all of which is to say, like, I think this is going to be an issue next, next year during the playoff. There are going to be players who are key players on teams in the playoff who enter the portal, however that might work. Maybe they line it up behind the scenes, right? Maybe uh, Kyle McCord, without entering the portal, has already lined up his next destination, and as soon as the team gets eliminated, then he does it. But again, if you make the championship, if you make the semis, you're playing uh, into mid-January, close to when you would need to enroll at your new school. And if you make the championship, it's January 20th, and I can't imagine... There are any schools out there that you that have an enrollment date later than that. Let me ask you this. Um, you watched a lot of Kyle McCord, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, and, he and Julian Fleming from Ohio State, if they both go to Nebraska, um, how big of a deal is that to you? Well, it's definitely a big upgrade from who Nebraska's had a quarterback anytime recently. Like, say, I know you, you know, you talk to coaches who aren't all that impressed with Kyle McCord, but would they take Kyle McCord over Jeff Sims? Yes. Uh, what? Man, Max is gonna throw a drink in your face next time he sees you. Just well, uh, no. I think I assume Max watched Jeff Sims play this year and knows that he's not necessarily the, the answer there. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm just again you talk about NIL. Nebraska's NIL must have their act together to get somebody of his profile to come visit after yet another. They haven't been to a bowl game since 2016. Nebraska was th- Nebraska um, a couple of years ago won the. O'Shawn Mathis sweepstakes for like a half a million dollars. Now that money didn't seem like it, you know, obviously Scott Frost got fired, you know, a month into the season. And I don't think, you know, O'Shawn Mathis put up huge numbers. It's just, uh, but you say this, Nebraska commitment as a fan base commit, like, I don't want to say it's all there for, for Matt rule, but you know, okay. Like they were teetered on bowl eligibility this year. like. 
you know, if you get guys like that, is that the next step to get you to, you know, maybe on the fringe of a top 25 team? I don't know. Well, and frankly, the transfer portal can be Nebraska's best friend, because what do we always say is that program's biggest disadvantage is there's no high school talent there. But there's no reason why you can't go get portal kids from all over the country if you have the, I mean, again, it's not always only NIL. They got to feel like they're a good fit, good coaching, all that. But like, if the difference maker is uh, we can pay you 100000 more than this other school, that certainly helps. Again, I wish <laughs> this would all be different if the schools themselves controlled the NIL like they should uh, instead of these secretive third parties. Like, apparently, I asked somebody, well, could we, do you think I could get somebody who's been through the process, who, who like, talked to, let's say, Oregon's Collective and got close and ended up going somewhere else? Couldn't he tell me about, like, what goes on with Oregon's Collective? Nope, they have to sign an NDA before they even start talking to them. So these, these organizations have it locked down. Real quick, a uh, couple coaching, head coaching uh, changes or uh, hirings. Uh, since our last episode, Manny Diaz, former Miami head coach, current Penn State defensive coordinator, now the head coach at Duke. Um, thoughts? Uh, not shocked. This was something I think a job he was he had been pretty interested in. He obviously coached in the ACC um, when he was at Miami. Did a really good job at Penn State as the defense coordinator, number one defense in the country. Um, you know, I think I think Duke saw. With Elko, you know, they had a defensive guy and it worked. Now can he build up? It didn't help him that like some guys, you know, jumped in the portal because Duke was pretty deliberate in this process and and took maybe a few more days than I think people would have thought they would have taken, especially to get Manny. I think that, you know, you would have thought if he was their guy, they would have moved, moved, moved a little sooner. Um, we'll see. I mean, I think it's a, you know, as much as Miami fans are kind of like probably downplaying it. I thought he, you know, I think he'll, I think he's a good fit for Duke. Yeah, and look, if not for Dan, uh, for Mario Cristobal deciding to leave Oregon for Miami, he might still be the Miami coach. Remember, it was that really weird situation where they were openly recruiting Cristobal without having yet fired Manny Diaz. So it wasn't like he was a total disaster at Miami. I mean, I think the only thing, uh, my only concern I'd bring up is, like you said, Elko. He was out of there after two years. If Manny Diaz has a great success at Duke, how quickly is he going to be off to the next job? Like, he's not somebody who I could see. Duke was so fortunate when they had David Cutcliffe because he was successful and he wasn't going anywhere at that stage in his career. If they get somebody like, uh, you know, like they just had or Diaz, like, realistically, they're, they're, they're going to use that as a springboard. Agreed. Uh, what other hires caught your eye? Uh, well, we had talked on here. I think, you know, you gave the shout out after the conference championship came to John Summerall at Troy and said, I think he's going to probably be coveted by somebody. And it turned out to be Tulane. He goes to Tulane to replace Willie Fritz. And I thought, huh. So he's not, he didn't wait for a power five job to come calling. He's leaving a Sunbelt school for an AAC school. Does that tell us that there's a hierarchy now? even within the group of five. I think there is, Stu, potentially. Now, look, he'd been an assistant at Tulane. To me, this is as good a hire as anybody's going to make in this cycle. He killed it at Troy. And he would have been the head coach at Kentucky if Mark Stoops got AM. 
but I wonder if you're a head coach and you're looking around going, all right, Florida hired Billy Napier from the Sun Belt. He did really well at Louisiana. He's struggling so far at Florida. Maybe he gets a turnaround, maybe not. We don't know. But I think it's probably a little harder to expect somebody's going to make that, you know, some big SEC school. And Florida's a big SEC school, I think, would roll the dice on somebody out of the Sun Belt. I mean, we, you and I both think a lot of Jamie Chadwell as a coach. Jamie Chadwell, unlike Summerall, Jamie Chadwell and his staff did not have any Power Five experience. Summerall um, coached at Kentucky, coached at Ole Miss. He had that. But Jamie Chadwell couldn't get an SEC job. It kind of baffles me that they, they, they wouldn't give him a chance, and he ended up going to get Liberty, and Liberty's paying him really well. But still, I think that there's a lot of good coaches in the Sun Belt who may have to take you know, an intermediate step. And I think, you know, like Summerall was a candidate who had interests, you know, um, he was definitely in the mix for Mississippi State. I know Duke was very interested in him. You know, Tulane ends up, to me, you know, making a big home run hire to get him. But I think that this is the, this is kind of does get into what you just said. I mean, there's some really good Sunbelt coaches who are not getting sniffs at some, some, uh, power five jobs you think they would have a chance at i mean it's nuts that jamie chadwell doesn't have a power five job already it's it's it was nuts to me that he had to take that step from from coastal to liberty and then his very first season at liberty he goes undefeated and takes him to a new year six bowl and unless there's some surprise development here he's going to be back at liberty next season i don't know what the aversion is to jamie chadwell but going back to you know he's an fcs head coach he won he won at coastal He's winning at Liberty, and he's, you know, the SEC has no interest in him. Their loss, too. Their loss. Um, all right. Well, I think that does it for this episode. We are going to be on a bit less frequent schedule here as we go through the month of December and holidays and bowls and whatnot. We are coming back for a second episode this week. So send your questions to the at gmail.com, and we'll see you next time. How did we get away with the things we used to do?